episode say the number ben 922 of effectively wild daily podcast from baseball prospectus brought to you by the play index baseballreference.com and our patreon supporters i'm sam miller along with ben lindberg of 538 hi ben hi you hear that i sure do it sounds like a dog that is wow that is long beach wildlife oh yeah okay yeah we're gonna be picking up some sounds that might be familiar to the uh the very old school listeners, uh-huh. uh, because after something like 700 episodes, I'm going to be back here. All right. So Exciting. is it, there's going to be a dog all the time? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I, uh, right now I don't have, uh, uh, well, I was going to say I don't have Wi-Fi. I don't have electricity in the house. And really? so I'm, I'm at a neighbor's. And so that dog I is uh, their dog. But there might be crickets. There might be. Okay. I saw a cricket today. Did you kill it? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, it wasn't near my house. It was about a half mile away from my house, and I thought, that is where you should be. <laughs> I feel like in the old days, you still would have just instinctively gone after it. No, I don't have any problem with crickets. Only crickets that come to my house. I had a long drive this morning, and I listened to all the Randy and Joe episodes. Oh, cool. They, they were great. Yeah, that was really fun. It was really fun. That took up three hours of my drive. <laughs> yeah, you should Go away more often. <laughs> I'm surprised because I remember uh, previous trips. I don't know if you caught up on episodes you missed. Yeah, I normally don't. <laughs> well, yeah, they were fun. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's see. One of the things that was mentioned that we never talked about was the Waxahachie. Is that how you pronounce it? <laughs> yeah, that the, sounds the, close enough. The Waxahachie swap. Yeah. So this is, of course, uh, as probably people know, when in order to get the most out of your pitcher's platoon advantages, a manager will take a pitcher out, replace him with a pitcher of the opposite hand, but instead of taking him out of the game, he'll send him to a position, normally right or left field, and then once the new reliever has gotten his assigned man out, the pitcher who was sent to right or left field comes back into the game. And this is, uh, of course, Rob Nyer is obsessed with this, Yes. Uh, play and uh, tracks them, I think, throughout history. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was uh, the only reason I bring this up is that when we were talking about Shohei Otani, I mentioned that if he was going to play DH, if he was going to basically be a two way beast, uh, he would have to go to the AL because there's no real role for him in the NL. I would think that no team is likely to let him play the outfield regularly or even first base regularly. So if he's going to bat on his days off, uh, unless he's just a you know generic pinch hitter, uh, he has to go to the to the AL where there is a spot just for him. And so then the Waxahachie swap though is the opposite. We had talked about having a two way beast uh, sort of a guy in uh, on the Stompers. Who would be able to do this? Who would be able to basically pitch uh, and then leave? And in fact, I think in the toward the end of the season, in an important game, we wanted to have Santos do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the problem was that there is a DH for the Stompers, and you can't do the Waxahachie swap in a DH league 
unless it's very late. You can't really do it because once the pitcher is removed from the game, wait, once the pitcher enters the game, I forget the, which rule it is, but it, once you do it, you lose the DH. There's no longer a DH. And it becomes, you can't make the math work. We, we did a bunch of simulations, basically, and figured out that we were going to be losing more by having lost our DH um, and having to pinch hit throughout the game and, and so on, and also losing whatever position you because you're putting him at a at an offense first position as well. So you're losing your starting, you know, say left fielder or first baseman, and you're not gonna have the DH spot. And so it didn't make sense. And so there's often a debate about whether the DH is good or bad for strategy, DH uh, or sort of uh, baseball purists who don't like the DH will say that the NL is so much better for strategy because uh, it becomes a chess match and then the uh, sensible response is actually no. Pitcher's spot in the lineup is just so pathetically obvious that you just, you know, it, it becomes its own sort of dogma. And, and there aren't really that many hard decisions to make when it comes to pitchers uh, batting or having the chance to bat. But in these two cases, we have found places where the strategy, the opportunity for strategy is wildly different depending on whether you have the DH. And, and I think that the only place that we should really be talking about whether there's enough strategy is uh, using pitchers in hitting roles. I think that uh -huh. is the one, uh, the one good that we um, should see in the sport. Yeah, and Otani would be great at that because as our guest on Friday, Jason Koskri, told us he was a really good outfielder before they stopped letting him play outfield for workload-related reasons, not defense-related reasons. So he could very easily go back and forth. Yeah, he had like I, – I was looking at his fielding stats and he had – like seven assists in 25 games or something. Yeah, but, uh -huh. uh, yeah. I think it was seven and 50, but all the same, that's a good pro rated. Yeah, he can do it all. And uh, by the way, it's called the, the Waxahachie swap after Paul Richards, the former manager who was from Waxahachie, Texas, and was nicknamed the Wizard of Waxahachie. And I think someone in a comment section on a Rob Nyer article suggested that that be the name of this tactic because he was credited with inventing it. I don't think he actually invented it, and you couldn't really say he popularized it because it didn't get popular, but he used it more than anyone else. So that's the origin story. Oh, so Nair actually named it. Yeah, well, someone in a comment section named it that, and he adopted it. Interesting. There, I uh, Did you know that there is a Waxahachie that is spelled the way that Nair spells it as a southern suburb of Dallas? There's also a Waxahachie creek in Alabama that is spelled completely differently. I did not know about that creek in Alabama. Yeah. All right. Any banter? Well, as I tweeted over the weekend, Ryan Webb and Matt Albers are now members of the same organization. Oh, I know. And then they sent him straight. <laughs> I really wanted to know. I wanted to do fan fiction of them talking about this. Just like <laughs> yeah. a waiting for Godot in the... <laughs> In yeah. the clubhouse of <laughs> yeah. these two guys talking about waiting, you know, you know, basically waiting for their first save, and then yeah. they then they designated him right away. I, I bet they didn't even cross paths. Do you think that Webb went to the clubhouse, or do you think they flew him straight to Durham, Charlotte? I Charlotte, think. yeah, yeah. The White Sox signed him, so Durham's he went to AAA. the Rays. The Rays. He yes. was in. Was he in Durham already? Guess maybe he was because he had been optioned. So I yeah. guess so. So he probably didn't go by by way of Chicago. So. They probably didn't cross pass, although they certainly might at some point. Although it's possible that if Webb does get a shot, it might be at the expense of Albers. But oh, that's right. That, Only that... one can. <laughs> 
Right. So still I don't not know. clear which 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 equals winning though. It's no. Still, like it's still not clear whether getting the save is the curse <laughs> or the reward. Yeah, <laughs> I kind of like it that way. So yeah, it's interesting. If they do occupy the same bullpen at some point, then of course their odds are are even worse than before than when they were in two different bullpens and had more double the the potential save opportunities so if they end up in the same bullpen that would be the ultimate punishment really dude do you remember at the beginning of the year when we were so excited about Webb being in the rays bullpen because they were not going to have a closer it was going to be just wild just pure wildness down there everybody's getting a save you know like (laughs) chris archer's getting a save they're all getting (laughs) saves yeah and it's just nobody one guy one guy got all the saves. I think Ryan Garten got a, one of those like weird like five-inning ones. But otherwise, it's just been one guy. Like They just immediately went to the most traditional closer usage. Yeah, those unconventional rays went right to Alex Colomay. Yeah. All right. Anything else? Nope. So Travis Sawchick, uh, he emailed me because he was working on a piece about the Pirates of the Trade deadline and specifically about what you do when you're going for the wild card, whether that's a situation to, to make a big trade or not. And so I, I sent him back a few paragraphs, but I wanted to talk to you about this because when the second wild card came into being, we talked a little bit about how it was sort of unclear about whether like how the sport was going to respond to the second wild card, whether it was going to be seen as making the playoffs uh, yeah. or, or not. And just if I can back up a little bit, a couple of months ago, I, I tweeted, I had a tweet that said something like, uh, the next big thing in sabermetrics is going to be hiring philosophers, which was a better tweet than it sounds when I say it out loud, just in case you're judging me right now. Okay. And that was a joke. I, I was just joking. But then I started thinking about it. And someone asked me, like, what do you mean? And I, I didn't want to be like, I don't know. I was just joking. Uh, so I gave him a serious response. And my response was that, I, I think that it actually is true that you have to figure out ways of defining success. You have to figure out how you're going to define success for your organization, for each individual player, and for the league as a whole. And for organizations, there's a I feel like there's something of a reductive way of, of defining success as being only you win the World Series. But even beyond that, you have to figure out what is successful and is winning 81 games every year and having good pennant races successful even if you don't uh, win the World Series is that not successful and does it therefore make the case that you should you know try to win three out of every five years or two out of every five years but then go so far down in the gutter in those other three years that you put yourself in a position in the World Series it's very difficult to think about like what is a successful season what is a successful era what is success for a franchise I still don't know I think this is year five of the two wild card uh, setup, and I still don't really know if winning the wild card and losing that game counts as successful. And you really have to know that before you decide whether to trade your, you know, the number thirty overall prospect in baseball for a pretty good reliever, so that you can get that second wild card spot or the first wild card spot even, uh, and play one game. And so I wanted to talk to you, a couple of weeks ago we talked about the White Sox, Yankees, and Pirates. And those were three teams that, as you put it, I think are basically kind of out of it or, or were like sort of out of the race but just in enough that it made it hard to say. And 
I want to talk about different teams. I want to talk about the teams that, as we head into the trade deadline, that are basically out of their division race mm-hmm. uh, and are in the wild card race and what you think the proper kind of orientation toward that opportunity should be for them as they go through the trade deadline. Sound okay. sound okay? Sure. All right. So there's basically three tiers you can be at with a wild card. And so I'll just go down from the from the top. The best tier, still not the best tier that any team could be in, but vis-a-vis the wild card, the Dodgers. The Dodgers are basically not a lock, but they're in a great position to win a wild card spot. Two and a half games up on the Mets and the Marlins, and an extra game up on the Cardinals, and an extra game and a half up on the Pirates. So they're in a very good position uh, for making the wild card, uh, but they are uh, six, about to be six and a half games out of the division. They are a long shot to win the division. Not impossible. Six and a half games uh, is a lot in half a season, in less than half a season, especially against a good team. Uh, but, you know, that gap has been closed. And so they're in a position where they could plausibly try to improve to win the division, or they could plausibly try to improve uh, because they figure they're going to be a playoff team, or they could plausibly say, eh, it's a wild card. Let's just, you know, see what happens. So uh, how do you feel like the Dodgers should view their season right now as far as basically trading from um, their future in order to make themselves better for this year? Well, the fact that they are the Dodgers sort of makes you think that they would place a greater emphasis on increasing their playoff odds, even if it's largely wildcard odds, just because they are outspending every other team in baseball. It's more embarrassing for the Dodgers to miss the playoffs than it is for anyone else. And let me let me let me just pause right there because okay. it's not a perfect match because they're in very different kind of trajectories. But last year the Yankees made the playoffs. The Yankees are a two hundred twenty million dollar budget team. They're the class of the sport for the last century or more. Uh, well, not actually the last century, almost a century. And they made the playoffs. They made the wild card game. Do you think that there are Yankees fans who are like, yeah, this has been a pretty good four years? No, <laughs> no. But yeah, I mean, they exited so quickly. It was, you know, one game and they were done and they didn't put up much of a fight in that game. So I still think it changes how it's perceived. I think the fact that they scraped in, I mean, last season was looked at as sort of a success in a sense in a in a larger sense it's a failure that the Yankees are barely scraping into a wild card spot when they're spending as much as they do and they have all the advantages that they have but in the short term it was sort of seen as exceeding expectations no one thought they were going to make the playoffs and so they technically did kind of sort of for you know three hours or so and so I think that did lead to a more positive interpretation, less pressure on the front office, whatever, however you want to define it. Best guess, Ben, without having any knowledge whatsoever, best guess, how many extra season tickets did they sell this year? <laughs> how many extra season ticket packages did they sell this year? Because they uh, went to the wild card last year. Greater uh, or less than 1,000. If, oh. if they had missed the wild card by a game, so everything the same, but they missed the wild card by one game. Yeah, it's got to be less than 1,000. Okay. How many season tickets are there? Oh, it, it depends. But if I had to guess, I'd guess the Yankees have a season ticket base of 18,000. Uh-huh. Yeah, I would guess that so many of those are just corporate clients who are just kind of locked in because they have to have somewhere to take people. So I would guess that a lot of them would get renewed anyway. But 
Eh, I would say less than a thousand, I think. All right. So, uh, so that was, but like I said, they're in a very different position than the Dodgers. The Dodgers are supposed to be, well, I guess the way that. I wonder if it changes their offseason, though, because they had a very un Yankees like offseason where they didn't sign a single free agent. I wonder whether they have the sort of self confidence or breathing room to do that. If they don't make that wild card game, I don't know. I don't know that that was like such a great strategy anyway, so I don't know if it matters, but I wonder whether that would have changed their offseason. So the Dodgers, though, are most likely going to make it. They probably don't have to do anything to make it. They, they probably don't have to add anything in order to, uh, to win a wild card spot. So really, the question is whether they should be investing in trying to catch the Giants. Yeah. Well, I think they've operated in such a way that... They're not going to trade their very top couple people to do that. But would they do it with someone in the next tier down? Possibly. Yeah. I think just because they're the Dodgers, I don't know. I mean, their front office is very analytical and they're probably going to put less stock in something like that than maybe some other front offices would. But at the same time, it would be really uncomfortable for everyone involved there if the team that's spending way more than everyone else Misses the playoffs and yeah, but they're not gonna miss the playoffs. That's the point. Is that it, the question well, is they're they're likely to make to win a wild card spot, and then at that point they're you know roughly fifty fifty to then be out after a game. And so the question is, mm-hmm. is it embarrassing to only play one game? Yeah, right. I mean, you know, their their playoff odds right now are eighty percent, and right. that's including wild cards. So it's not like a a total lock. So you'd think they might want to do something just to get that four and five shot up to something closer to five and five. But yeah, I their division odds are something like 30%, which was what they were roughly when we talked about it while you were away. And I talked about it with Joe and Randy. So if you believe that, then that seems worth trying to upgrade. But I don't know exactly what the upgrade is. Maybe it's Rich Hill or something. Maybe you add the best player available on the market. It's not that great a market. But yeah, I think a 30% shot is worth doing something. And if you're the Dodgers and you can take on lots of salary, as perhaps they still can, then you could do that. But I think based on the way they've operated, I mean, they've resisted the urge to trade their young, talented players before. So I doubt they would do it now. Do you think that it changes anything to know that they have Clayton Kershaw for that one game? Yeah, sure. Assuming Clayton Kershaw is healthy and and back and pitching at full strength, which is not a certainty, then yeah, you know that they will be favored in that game against anyone. Favored enough that you don't have to expend too much extra energy to chase down a division. Is that, is it easier to just say, we'll go at it with Kershaw in that game rather than, you know, like let's say they're, you know, three or four back of the Giants at the deadline. Does it ease the pressure to go after the Giants? Or is it still that you just don't want to go into one game, no matter who's pitching, you don't want to have the season riding on one game. And so you, because there is a point, if they're one game behind the Giants, they're more likely to add, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if they're 10 games behind the Giants, they're less likely to add. So how much does it move that that inflection point to know that you have Kershaw? Does it go from three games to four where you sort of stop thinking about chasing the Giants or, or three games to six or what? I don't know if there is a point where you should, really, because having Kershaw is nice, but it I mean, you're probably going to be facing some other teams really good pitcher and 
So you'll be favored by a little bit, but not so much that it will really change the calculus that much, I don't think. So I'm not really sure. I mean, there might be a point at which you could sort of sell that or you could tell yourself that or maybe fans would believe that. But statistically speaking, I'm not I'm not really sure that it affects your your chances enough that you should decide based on a, a game or two game difference in the division standings. Before I go on to the next team, you said that it's not a very inspiring trade market. And I had a thought while you were talking to Joe and, and Randy that um, maybe it is. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> Counter. So the reason that it's a bad trade market is that there are no good free agents coming up. And normally we think of um, the guys who are available for trade as being the guys who have three months left on their contract and their teams have you know, really no better way of using those players than to cash them out and get something before they leave as free agents. However, the trade market, the free agent market is so bad this winter that you have to figure there are like 24 to 26 teams that are going to go into this winter trying to improve, trying to get into a competitive position. And they're not dumb. They know that in November when they're trying to do this, there's not going to be anybody available. And so I wonder whether there's this whole glut of players who become available as, in essence, the free agent market in July, where you're getting guys who have two, three, four years left on their deal, where you start looking at Sonny Gray, or you start looking at Chris Archer, or you start looking at any number of guys who might plausibly be available who have three or four or five years left on their deal and can be your big free agent signing of the winter. And you just do it in July. And by doing it in July, you get the extra year, uh, the extra postseason out of them. And, uh, and so it really sort of strikes me that you might be right, that this might be the deadest July trade deadline we ever see. But I'm kind of expecting that in the next three weeks, a whole bunch of names that nobody's thinking about. Like, I bet you... I would I would put well uh, I would if the Marlins were bad but the Marlins are good and so it makes it a problem. I was going to say if the Marlins were bad I would say 50/50 chance that Trout or Fernandez gets traded this month. But of course I can't say that now and nobody can yeah. prove me wrong because I'm taking Jose Fernandez out of it. Like is it now the time to trade for Trout? Like if you're the Cubs, don't you get Trout now? And well, then that's sure, your, if you can. And that's your that's your, well it's not like the Angels are going to get any better in the next 3 months. No. Nope. And they're, you know, yeah. I mean, yeah, you're right. If they can, I mean, there's no, there's no indication that the Angels would, would ever trade Mike Trout. But, uh, you know, if they have sense, they're thinking about this the same way that we are, same way that everybody else is. And so, yeah, like it, like if I were the Cubs, I would put together a package with Jason Hayward for Mike Trout right now, and then <laughs> fill him in with, you know, McKinney and somebody else, and see if you can make it. I mean, somebody else, <laughs> a lot else. <laughs> yeah. Schwarber, Hayward, McKinney for trout right now (laughs) yeah i think the problem is that you we entered this season with a handful of teams that were just totally completely out of it and one of the reasons that they were totally completely out of it was that they had already done lots of selling so you had the braves trade lots of guys and you had the phillies trade guys and you had the reds trade guys and the padres trade guys and so they got at least some of the selling over with and so there are some teams that you look at their rosters and there's just not a whole lot that anyone would want even if it was available but you know there will be good players traded so it's not completely empty Mm -hmm. sunny gray getting traded well i don't know what you would really give up for sunny gray right now 
You well, you remember the piece I wrote about guys getting traded after one good start, pitchers getting traded after one good yes, start. Yes, right. So <laughs> one good start. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It was. Uh, it wasn't that great a start. Yeah. Uh, okay. So then next tier is the uh, Mets, Marlins, Cardinals, and then we already talked about the Pirates who have played themselves back into this, but I guess also the Pirates who are basically out of the division basically kind of and not locked for the wild card they're in a competitive race for the wild card and some of them are more in the division than others the Mets are six games back of a very good team Uh, the Marlins are six games back of a very good team but also they are a worse team probably Cardinals and the Pirates are like nine or ten back or something like that and they're all basically only only seven seven and a half right now actually I do a Cubs adjustment (laughs) You just add a couple games? Based on the run differential, yeah, and, <laughs> okay. and Joe Madden and Travis Wood. Uh-huh. Big fan of Travis Wood. <laughs> okay. uh, so, But they're also in a very competitive... They're, they're all two and a half, three, whatever games behind the Dodgers. So they're in a more competitive... Uh, so are they trading big prospects? Because huh. well, not only do they... Not only is the prize one game with the chance of more, but the prize is like like a one in four ish chance to begin with. So are they trading? Hmm. Well, all the teams you just mentioned aren't really, they aren't really at the end of a, a window or something like there isn't really a last gasp team in that bunch. I mean, the pirates should be good for a while. The Cardinals are always good. The Mets and the Marlins, you know, they're not drawing to a close or anything. It's not like a tiger's last run kind of thing before things go bad so I, the marlins I mean, the marlins kind of are always trying to close the, i mean the yeah, marlins right. it's not it's not like the marlins best days are behind them or anything but they're over their heads right right now yeah i would think a little bit yeah. like they they will have a worse record next year than they have this year uh, i don't know i don't feel confident saying that okay but yeah i mean they're all there isn't really a i wouldn't say there's really a fluke team in the bunch i mean they're all fairly good teams maybe the marlins are the worst of them but none of those teams is like you know total fluke where you look at the numbers and you say there's no way that they should be where they are and there's no way that they will be there going forward i mean the marlins have been outscored so they are the closest to that i guess but the other teams people expected them to be good and they've been you know pretty good and so none of them is uh, is a team where you say it's not even worth investing because they're going to fall apart no matter what you do. So those teams, I don't know exactly how to define how in they should be. Like if they had a top 10 prospect, should they trade the top 10 prospect for a rental or something? I don't know how to exactly say how in they should be or how out they should be. But they all, I think, have legitimate enough shots that you wouldn't see them do something and then just say oh they're you know they're throwing good money after bad or or whatever it's a lost cause and they're just you know sinking resources into this for no reason i'll be honest ben at this point i don't even know who's supposed to be trading like the cubs should the cubs be trading like the cubs for people yeah like should they be trading for people like they've got it locked up like how much is andrew miller really going to add to their postseason chances once they get there like once once they make it which they're like a hundred percent to make it how much do their world series chances go up from like 22 to 22.2 well uh like i know i know who should be trading if you are tied 
with a team in your division, you should be trading. Like, I'm 100% certain that you should then be adding players. Everybody else, I'm kind of like, that That gets to where you need a philosopher. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, it depends. I mean, the Cubs have obviously come back to earth a little bit, and they're under 500 since the beginning of June, I think. So, you know, the run differential is still really impressive. But it's gotten to the point where we're, you know, looking at the standings, and unless you add in the, the Cubs adjustment that you just added in, there is a, you know, kind of a race there a little bit. So I wouldn't say that they are so certain. And if it comes down to, uh, you know, upgrading the bullpen or something, then that just comes down to your philosophy, I guess, about what makes a good playoff team, if anything. And we've gone back and forth about that and questioned that since the very beginning of this podcast, and we still don't know exactly what to think. But it certainly is true that elite relievers pitch a higher percentage of your innings in the postseason. And so in theory, it would be especially useful to get a guy like Andrew Miller when your bullpen is not your greatest strength. And so I don't know what the Cubs think about that, but there's at least a line of thought that getting someone like Miller matters more than, you know, getting someone else who is equally valuable in the regular season. Yeah, Joe made such a good case for Andrew Miller on the Cubs that uh-huh. I, I I was, I think, in, at the time in the process of doing Mike Trout trades in my head. And then I started thinking, like, maybe you don't even get Mike Trout because it costs you the pieces that you need to get Andrew Miller. <laughs> and that made some sense because maybe that's what the Cubs need right now. Maybe, maybe in fact, uh, Andrew Miller, I, I know what I just said like 45 <laughs> seconds ago, but maybe Andrew Miller adds more to this team right now than the than you know than Mike Trout does and uh, you know plus the fact that Mike Trout's going to cost a you know a ton more to get yeah. so, right do let's be silent for a second and just listen you hear that i can't hear that no uh, oh they're so loud the crickets tonight it's weird yeah cuz you'll hear a hawk 4 miles off in the distance <laughs> that i can't even hear yeah and these crickets are blasting right now huh. all right so then the next tier is the teams i guess that are in a kind of uh not not a great chance but to make the wild card but if this were the old way of doing things we would say that they're definitely in a great chance to make the wild card they're the Houston Astros they're two games behind the first wild card they're also two games behind the second wild card so pretty good chance to make it but they have to improve so are the Astros trading from their future to win this one game playoff appearance I think so, because the Astros are only five and a half back in the division, and the God, Rangers... you and I, man, you and I have very different views about what five and a half games in the division means. I mean, there's half a season left, almost. So I guess, yeah, and the Rangers and have a the Rangers have seven hundred run differential. Yeah, right. The Rangers, let's see, is the Rangers run differential any better than the Astros? Rangers Pythag is forty seven and forty two. Astros is 47 and 41. Eh, I mean, oh, if they're that's pretty close, it's close, and the Rangers have a sizable lead. But maybe Pythag isn't even the best thing to look at with the Rangers because they've scored so many runs because they've been incredibly clutch, I think. And so that's been part of their run scoring, and that doesn't usually continue in the second half of a season if it happened in the first, as Jeff Sullivan showed recently. So I think they are close enough. I mean, okay. they were the division favorites coming into the season, yeah. I think, for most people. And so I think they're close enough that 
they would be going for. All right, so that's not really answering my question because uh, it turned out that I was a faulty question. <laughs> All right. Do you have another one in that tier? Yeah. La- well, no. This is uh, the last tier. Okay. Is uh, below them long shots to make the wild card, and even you know even longer shots to make the division. That would be the Tigers, the Royals, and the White Sox, who are three very different teams who are all also essentially tied with each other. Four and a half or five games out in the wild card, six and a half or seven games out in the division. So uh, are any of them trading from the future to win this wild card spot? Hmm. And they're, remember, the Astros are between them and the two wild card spots. So they would also have to overtake the Astros, which are, you know, who are a very good team with, a, you know, a, a decent team with a you know a weekend's worth of good baseball lead over them mm-hmm. yeah and you could also maybe throw the mariners into that group they're five games back in the uh, wild card race yeah so i guess it might depend on like if you're the mariners and a you have the longest postseason drought in the major leagues and b you don't seem to have a very long future with your current core as i talked about with joe this seems like a team that's more coming to a close than at the start of something. So maybe if you're the Mariners and you're in those circumstances, you go for it to a certain extent. I don't know. If you're the White Sox, I, I mean, the White Sox kind of always go for it or they they never go away from it. And the Tigers are kind of in the same sort of Mariners camp where they are just trying to string this thing along for as long as they can. And each year from now on kind of looks worse and worse so if you're those teams then i don't know how to should you trade your best prospect for a rental no i wouldn't do that for the slim chances that they have but i wouldn't be in a non-buying mindset i wouldn't go into it saying there is no no circumstance under which i would give up a prospect for a player but i wouldn't do it for a a short-term or only move in which I'm sacrificing something significant. Like with the with the Cubs, you might give up a good prospect, A, because you just have so many and you have no place to play them all, but also because you know you're going to be there. This could be your best shot ever. You have the weight of history behind you. So you might make a sort of short-term oriented move. I wouldn't make the same sort of move if I were one of these teams, but I also wouldn't go into it as a seller or as a definitely standing pat team. Yeah, I I group these teams by tiers based on how far out of the wild card they are. And yet, really, I think that the answer is based much less on how close to the wild card you are, much more about where you are as a franchise. Yeah. Um, whether there is a drought that you're expunging, whether there is some sort of you know extra benefit to of being able to sell yourself to the franchise the next year as a winning team, whether you're a team that I think like the Dodgers uh, is based on their investment has to always kind of be somewhat uh, desperate to make the playoffs because it's such an expectation yeah. uh, and, and based on where you are in your kind of expected competitive uh, window. And so it's much less about whether you're two games out, four games out or two games up and much more about whether uh, you can sell that, well, I guess partly whether you can sell that to your fans or to yourself as success, and partly whether you're selling from a future that's already pretty bleak or one that's on the upswing. It does occur to me, though, that like the one of the great things I think about this current five-team playoff system uh, is that it creates incentives for 
you know, pretty much, uh, well, for a lot more teams to consider themselves not only competitive, but also to see the benefit of getting better. So uh, there's a benefit to winning the division instead of the wild card, where there wasn't before. There's a benefit to having the best record in baseball or in the league, whereas there wasn't really before. And there's a benefit to winning, you know, a wild card spot that didn't previously exist before. Uh, on the other hand, there is this weird. I I'm completely like I I do not respect this wild card appearance at all. Like I don't I don't think if you make the wild card game and lose, you made the playoffs. I just think it's a it's still a kind of a pathetic loss of a season, except in certain circumstances. So if you're a team that is uh, not going to win the division, but is likely to win the wild card because you have the best record of all the teams that aren't going to win the division, well, six years ago I would say that team should be adding in July. Like, they should be going crazy. They're going to make the playoffs. Get good. And now I think, eh, you're just going to make the wild card game. It's a 50-50 chance you're not even going to win that game. Eh, probably not best to invest that much in this season. And maybe I'm the only one who feels that way. But, like, I'm a big fan of going for it and seizing the day. But the wild card, man, I just don't feel like there's anything there to hold on to. Yeah, well, it is a lot easier for us to feel that way. I think looking at it in a very dispassionate way, in an analytical way, and looking at the odds and the expected return and all of that, whereas if you're in the front office, you're the GM, you're whatever, I mean, just just imagine, I mean, even if you're fairly confident that you'll be back the next year, it's still a year away. It's a long time to wait, and it's a whole six months of no baseball and putting the whole roster together and then having everything you know go right or at least not catastrophically wrong and just all the waiting and all the abuse that you take from fans in the meantime and people questioning your decisions and awkward ownership meetings and just all of the just stuff you sort of have to suffer through to get back to the point where you can prove yourself again has to be a hard thing to just decide nope I'm just gonna just gonna wait just gonna give up on this year and uh, make the smart move has to be the same for fans, of course, who, you know, want to see a winner and maybe don't have the same appreciation for prospects that they've never heard of that someone who's looking at this in a more analytical way would. They just want to see their team win. They want to see their team give them a better shot of playing postseason baseball. And and that is the wild card game if the alternative is nothing. Yeah, maybe it's the exception that proves the rule because of the Cespedes trade because they blew a 8-3 lead or whatever. But I just remember seeing how little Billy Bean got out of that wildcard appearance in 2014. Like, in a way, that was probably his worst season from a fan's perspective in the Bay Area. Like, he was just savaged for that season. And it would have been better, I think, for his local reputation if they'd won 82 games and missed the playoffs by two games. Like, I just don't think that making one game got him a single free drink in the Bay Area. Uh-huh. And so I guess it's different, but it's different with every team and every situation and every city and every year. But, like, I don't know that you can sell that to your owner, to your boss, that it was a success. Yeah, I mean, you get to hang the playoff bunting if you have a home game. Yeah, and Eduardo Nunez gets to say he's an all-star. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. All right. That's all I got. Okay. Well, I hear the crickets now, so I guess that's our cue to leave. You can support the podcast on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash effectivelywild. 
Today's five listeners who have already pledged their support are Wayne Goldstein, J. Keith Van Stratton, Kevin Arrow, Jessica Pritchett, and Lee Corbett. Thank you. You can buy our book, The Only Rule Is It Has to Work, our wild experiment building a new kind of baseball team. Go to theonlyruleisithastowork.com for more information, and you can leave us a review on Amazon and Goodreads if you've finished the book. We're about to hit 200 reviews on Amazon, and we appreciate that. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash effectivelywild, and you can rate and review and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Get the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription to the Play Index by going to BaseballReference.com and using the coupon code BP when you subscribe. We thank you all for keeping us company through the so-called first half of the season and the actual first half of the season. We will keep you company through the All-Star break, so we'll be back with a new show tomorrow. You better-